Our next speaker is a writer and a beekeeper. Her book, A Honey Beat Has Five, Honey Bee Heart Has Five Openings, is a memoir of uh, beekeeping. And here to talk to us about um, that whole experience is uh, the wonderful Helen Jukes. Hello. <laughs> Helen, when you started keeping bees, well, before you did, even when you were thinking about it, you said it was almost, um, you were conscious of a sense of wanting to escape something and, mm, and looking yeah. for something. Can you just say a bit about that feeling? Yeah. Um, I was living in Oxford at the time, um, and I'd moved to Oxford with the thought that... Um, uh, after a, a, a few years of working very part-time, short-term projects, I was about to finally settle down and maybe put some roots in a place. Um, I'd been offered a job with a permanent contract, and I thought, OK, now's the time. And um, I arrived there and found myself in a much more fast-paced, high-pressure, target-driven environment than I'd anticipated. Um, and... I guess was reaching what became a kind of crisis point, um, feeling very, um, I guess, blocked and blinkered in this very um, confined sort of life that I was living, going to work, rushing through. I mean, nothing particularly unusual, unusual yeah. for most people here probably. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then kind of coming back and feeling totally exhausted and um, I, yeah I guess the, the bees became this idea of, of something an escape from that so to begin with I mean you, you said you wrote might there be an experience where seeking by bringing ourselves into encounter with something else in this case a hive was it did you articulate it as that to yourself or did you just recognize what you were feeling and find yourself then pursuing mm. the hive or did you yeah. I'd, I'd had I'd been living in London for a few years prior to that and had had an experience there of um I, I met a, a guy who actually used to be a theater director and then had given up theater and started keeping bees he'd started with a hive at the natural history museum um, and it had grown and grown, and by the time I met him, he had 50 hives across London and rooftops in community gardens, on council estates, all, all different layers of the city. Um, and so meeting him, I asked for an introduction to his bees um, and had this amazing experience. Um, if any of you know Coram's Fields, it's right in central London. There's a tiny strip of... Um, wild space behind the cafe where he has two hives and I, and I went with him quite early on um, in my time in London um, and had a really um, I guess an experience that changed me going with him and, and thinking I was going to have this quite exciting experience of meeting a colony of bees and then getting there and actually feeling quite afraid mm. of in a hive in summer there are tens of thousands of of bees in a colony. Um, and so it was disconcerting to, to experience this, but there was also uh, something quite apart from any other experience I was having in the city at that time. There was a, um, a real intimacy about it, in a way. He became very quiet as he, 
as he opened the hive and much more careful and steady in his movements. And I think I, there was something really intriguing to me about that. So you felt both. You felt, you've talked about feeling fearful and the terror of it, but it was in parallel with or mixed with this, attempt, this feeling of intimate attention. Yeah, I think I'd kind of, he'd given me a bit of a window to something. So I'd seen this um, quiet that I think he produced around the hive, but in myself, um, I did not feel the quiet. <laughs> I felt much more uh, disconcerted and afraid um, than him that first time. And then you did this whole business, you did a lot of research and reading around them. And I, I <clears throat> you know, since then, you've said to me how. At around that time, you were feeling quite blocked. You know, your senses, even your language, is feeling foggy. Mm. Um, but then there was something about relating to creatures who sense the world completely differently. Mm. Can you say a bit about how bees perceive the world? Yeah, I think this was this was probably one of the things that um, most fascinated me about honeybees. Is, um, when you say honeybees, is it true of all bees or just honeybees? Um, is it very different, possibly I guess, different? I guess all insects have, or all creatures have, a very different way of communicating and sensing to yeah. us. Every, every creature yeah. we meet, I guess, has yeah. its own sensory and so particularly communicative yeah. word. But, but yeah, it was yeah. honeybees that I became really hmm. fascinated by. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. a little bit. I think if you just pull it away from your cheek a little bit, okay. that's not too much. Someone yeah. wave at me that's if I'm echoing. Maybe a little bit back again. There okay. we go, perfect. <laughs> um, so how they the sense question? the world. I know all how sorts of things about microphones. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah uh, I'm still echoing. Um, so worker bees actually um, spend most of their lives inside the hive. When we see bees, it's only towards the end of their life they start foraging. Um, and so I became really fascinated by this creature that lived in a very um, intensely um, uh, sort of uh, communicative body, collective, mm. um, and also, for the most part, communicated to it, it totally in the dark. Mm. So they use very different sensory capacities to us. They use touch, smell, they use sound, although they don't have ears. They have kind of auditory organs or, or kind of ear-like organs in their right. knees. And feeling the vibrations. And they feel yeah. vibrations through the floor of the hive, yeah. So the more I got to know the colony and the more I had the sense of this kind of growing, changing, collective superorganism through the course of the year, the more I had the sense of this creature that is intensely um, affected by, um, by other, uh, other bees within the colony, but also by its surroundings and by, by um, what was going on around it. So connected. It. Yeah, very much so. And, and I guess that's where this idea that I had of, having, of a hive being an escape from, from the rest of the world was um, disproved <laughs> because when you look into a hive today it's um, very full of what's going on what, what we're doing to the landscape around it I guess I read a colony the other uh, um, article the other day that said 
75% of honey worldwide now contains neonicotinoids, which, which are these bee-harming pesticides. Um, so, so when we look in the hive, it's very much a place that is um, affected by, by the landscape around it. Can you say something about um, that whole... I mean, it's very hard for me to... Because your, your book renders this very beautifully. Your encounter with the colony in the hive made you think a lot about the nature of your attention yeah. to these creatures. Yeah. And also, you then looked up a lot about the history of this, didn't you? So the, the whole business of the science on trying to understand hives. Mm. Largely, not untypically, Enlightenment men. Yeah. And you comment on the desire went very rapidly from attention to control. Mm. But you, you didn't... You were, you were trying to almost fathom them, and I think it became pretty clear that control was problematic. Mm. So the hive, I guess, beekeeping has taken very different phases through history. Um, there are accounts by classicist thinkers, and right back to ancient Egypt and ancient Greece, people were um, beekeeping, and, and um, honeybees had a role in... Um, I guess, ceremony and ritual around that time. Um, Aristotle and Pliny and um, Virgil all, all write about honeybees and have these amazing imaginative theories about um, the processes that are going on in the hive. But actually, hives at that time were um, completely closed to us. So the interior life of the colony, although there was this sense at that time of something very complex happening inside, it was actually completely closed to us. Um, and then through the Middle Ages, the hive um, or, or beekeepers were um, mostly um, peasant farmers, people that were beekeeping to supplement their income. Um, I think around the time of the Enlightenment, when there were developments in technology and windows were sizable glass sheets were being made, there was a there was a change, and people um, it, it became possible to. To, to look inside, exactly, yeah. And, and I guess at that point, um, our relationship with bees changed again, and probably our relationship with the natural world was undergoing a huge process of change at that what time. What about you personally, then, and your business of looking in on the hive and what your, the nature of your attention? You think about this quite a lot. What, yeah. do you th can you, are you able to um, grasp what it was that happened to you in that encounter? how you were attending? Yeah, oh, that's a massive question. We've talked about this before and I answered really badly, didn't I? tell them we Yeah, I... Um, there was something really um, interesting to me that year about um, committing to getting to know a creature living in proximity to me and a wild creature um, living in my garden. I guess a, a lot of nature writing and a, and a lot of um, books about the natural world are often about going, exploring out and adventuring to um, new places. And maybe there was a kind of politics for me about um, staying where I was and engaging in a very close and intent and repeated act of attention. Um, and um, familiarity with another creature. Um, and 
many strange things happened as a result. <laughs> I mean, you, you've got this great phrase around not feeling better, but feeling better in the nature of... It was the feeling that changed. Yeah, it was kind of pr prompted by something I, I read about beekeeping being a therapeutic pastime um, and sort of thinking about um, how often... At, or, or I guess thinking about um, how important it is to be conscious of our, our, um, how we engage with the natural world. Our gaze. Our, our gaze, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and how um, when, when our interactions are shaped by an idea of um, therapeutics and what I'm going to get from the yeah. natural world, then maybe there's an um, a erasure of... The what thing. the natural world is and the creature, um, and so I because it becomes about you presumably. Yeah, 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 and what and what I'm going to get out of it, and so I, I, and so I guess that's where this idea of maybe it's not about feeling better, but feeling better and seeing better and relating better, um, um, and that's not very easy. <laughs> and, and in that, you also wondered about what it meant to keep. Yeah. What, what did that you know? You, all of these terms what the gaze was, what the quality of the attention was, what it meant to keep, started dissolving in front of you, didn't they? You had to almost yeah. re-understand them to yourself. Yeah, and in a way, this, it all became quite blurry that year. So um, honeybees are these amazing in-between creatures. They, they, um, they seem to jump our categories every time we try and, and place them. So are they wild or domestic? Well, they're a bit of both. Um, is honey an animal product or is it plant-based? Um, are bees individual or collective? Um, there's, e there's even been, uh, I guess this is going back to classical times, but there was a long time when people weren't sure if worker bees were female or male. Mm. Because so, so there's this sense about bees that um, they sort of they blur your categories. Um, I forget how this was relating to what you just said. <laughs> well, I think you, it was a, lot of, a lot of the terms were just d dissolving, oh, weren't they? Keeping. Not becoming, yeah, keeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I, um, I also became really interested in keeping and how maybe we're at a, we're at a point at a wider level where we're asking questions about what it means to keep and what it means to um, sustain something. Um, and I got really, I got really interested in the etymology of various words, and and found that actually through time, keep has the word keep has um, become much harder. It, it's more, it's we think of it um, as being maybe more to do with control and retaining and locking down, whereas in its um, original meaning, it was something. Um, maybe a bit more open-handed and to do with attention and um, keep it... It was more like keeping an eye on um, than, than an idea of, of locking down. Could you read us a bit? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, I'm going to read. Am I echoing too much? Can anyone... Is it OK? OK, great. Maybe it's just inside my head. <laughs> um, I'm going to read... Um, from so I went to, to pick I, I was gifted my colony of honeybees by a group of friends and um, went to pick them up from a farm just outside Oxford um, run by an amazing Ukrainian guy and his wife 
um, and I'm not going to do his accent, um, but it's very, it's a strong accent. Um, and this is the point when um, Victor, um, the guy that runs the farm, is showing me my colony for the first time. As he takes a hive tool from his pocket and prizes the lid open, there's a sound like a thousand nerves tightening and stirring. He moves fast without stopping, takes a few frames out and empties them by jerking so that the bees change from clinging solid to thick, dark liquid pouring back down into the hive. Queen, he points, see? And I spot her through the throng, bigger than the others and shrinking against the comb. The comb is stuffed with unhatched eggs and I see pollen too. My bees, I tell myself, testing how it sounds. This is the colony I'll keep, I try, the one I'll get to know. But we're disturbing them. Dark points of agitation fly up, away from the hive or straight for us, and my gauze mask thuds as one hits and holds buzzing. I can't see them separately anymore, can only feel the size of the disturbance spreading, a hot, low pulsing that swells until it surrounds us, and then we're inside it, and the air is alive with them. I'd forgotten this, had forgotten the foreignness, their formlessness, the furious buzzing that comes sometimes as you lift the lid, and their rising that is more like heat or sound than movement. Victor's finished. He replaces the lid and shuts the entrance closed. Except for a slim metal ventilation grill at the top, the box is sealed. And the hum quietens, cools, stills. There's a lot of light around and something is ringing, like when you've gone underwater and come back up and everything seems louder than before. Here, Victor says, lifting the box and gesturing me closer. Take it. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you are, you are some, I mean, somewhat suspicious, though, or wary, wary of the fad, almost, of just having a hive mm. in your garden. Almost... almost Warning us off the kind of, you know, almost President Trump type glib. Oh, there's bees around. What's the problem, dudes? You know, yeah. that actually that isn't a legitimate or adequate response to declining populations. Yeah, I guess I, um, I did a lot of reading about the hive and, a lot, and, and the state of the hive. Um, and, and I guess my, my feeling coming out of the year that was that the hive is not well and that having, having a hive isn't necessarily having a... I guess ev every hive is a, um, a kind of microcosm of the wider world. And, it's and having this um, colony of bees and this creature that is so affected by the landscape, you're, um, you become very aware of of um, what's going on in the wider world. Particularly affected by the landscape? More Especially than... Especially so? You said it's a creature that's so affected. Yeah, I mean... I guess... And I, I guess it, it... 
it makes me very aware of how all, how all creatures okay. and how, how, how all of us are very affected by the landscape. But yeah, I guess um, bees are very sensitive to their environment and our environment and our landscapes have changed so much in the last few decades. They, uh, them and, and all pollinators urgently need more um, more flowering and, and nesting habitats. They don't need us to keep them, but mm. they, they need landscapes that are, are, are healthy and well. You say around that point in, in the book, how we view the world has consequences. Is that something that you, you started to recognise more and more in keeping them? Mm. Changes what you do? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess um, learning about beekeeping and learning about the more commercial side of beekeeping um, made me very aware of what happens when we begin to treat a creature as a um, commodity rather than as a, um, a being, a sensing being. Um, so uh, industrial-scale beekeeping now, you get farms that might be a th thousands of hives wide, um, or, or there are, um, in America, um, maybe you've, you've seen on the news, bees being shipped vast distances to supply pollination services. And um, in, in those situations, they're living very far from their natural, their natural processes, so they're not, giving, they're not given a break. They move from one place to another, much like us in our office environments being pushed and pushed to produce as much as possible. And I think there's a sense at the moment that the hive is um, really under stress. Um, there was a report released this week to say that um, disease in London has gone up massively. Um, and I, I wonder if that's, bees are more susceptible to disease when, when under stress and under strain. And, mm. um, yeah, we're, we're, putting, we're putting the natural world under, under stress at the moment. I think that's something I was struck Yeah, by. evident. Mm. Just to close, you, there was a, you know, you're talking about looking back at the etymology of these, of words, and that friend, in fact, even, has an etymology in sharer of bees. Is it in, in Lithuanian? In Lithuanian, yeah. Um, yeah, the word, do you have it written down? Uh, I haven't Lithuanian, got the word written down. I think no, it is. No, no, no. means um, keeper of the bees, yeah, it's the word for friend, yeah. Which is astonishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, that's all we have time for. But thank, thank you, you to Helen Jukes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Helen.